I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric at home of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show. Rapper Big Pooh is on the show again today. Fella, how are you? I'm good, man. B- blessed. 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 Every day <laughs> healthy is a blessing these days. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Make it, making it through these COVID waters. All right. And our special guest today from NBC Sports Watcher is Chase Hughes. Chase, how are you? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Very good. Chase, I have noticed you've done a couple of more uh, football team articles this year. Are you, uh, you like football or basketball better? Do you have a preference? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. I don't know if I have a preference just on the face of it. Um, I like both sports a lot. I prefer covering basketball because – you know, I just kind of like like the league. I, I love going to NBA games um, and it kind of maintains my fandom for the Washington football team, which will have uh, a different name in about three weeks. Uh, but I like kind of chiming in a little bit on that team because uh, I, I just love the NFL. If there's if there's an NFL game on, I'll watch uh, Thursday night, Sunday night. I love when they're on Saturday night. Uh, anytime that there's a football game on, I'm watching. You uh, I know you were a proponent of the Red Wolves. It is out. They have said that. Do you have a uh, do you have a backup you're hoping for? Well, first of all, I was a proponent of the Red Wolves. I wrote about it, and I understand the copyright and trademark issue. And I'm I'm happy that they tried. They listened to the fans and they tried. Um, I just figured, you know, I just saw Facebook pay sixty million for the word Meta, right? They paid some <laughs> bank in like Iowa or something. I thought maybe they they could do that, but. You know, as, as rich as NFL teams are, Facebook uh, certainly has deeper pockets uh, than probably anybody out there. Um, as far as uh, what their name should be now, um, I still kind of favor something that starts with R. So you can go back to that curly R logo that Joe Gibbs used to wear, you know, on his hat or, you know, the, the helmet that Vince Lombardi um, designed in the early 70s. I like those logos. So um, maybe Red Tails or Red Hog, something like that. Um, but at this point, I'm keeping an open mind because my first choice wasn't uh, chosen. And I don't want to just kind of have like a negative reaction right away, even if it's commanders or admirals, which won't wouldn't be my first choices. I'm kind of keeping an open mind and I'm not going to have a negative rac- reaction immediately because I know regardless, I'm going to have to learn to love it. Right. Yes. I'm going to have a negative reaction if it's <laughs> commanders or admirals or anything associated with the military i'm gonna have i'm gonna have a stern reaction what about red tails that technically relates to the technically it does but i I can i can get down with that one a little bit more that doesn't sound as militaristic as the other names that i'm hearing well commanders i would just say it's like it reminds me like i think there were some times in madden or in franchise mode where you could rebrand and like relocate and they'd be like the most generic names. And I think commanders might've been one of them. If not, like, that's just what it reminds me of. It's very generic. It, it does. It, yeah. it, it feels like a, a college team. Yeah. I had long thought it would be nothing that started with an R just kind of because it'd be too easy for the Redskins, you know, holdovers to never get off that. I have, I have reevaluated that. And I wonder if it will be something that starts with R. Somebody said something to me the other day that made me wonder 
if it won't be an R something. And and I thought maybe Admirals made sense last year sometime I was on Admirals. But if they went, I know they're keeping Burgundy and Gold, right? So if they go Admirals and then Rock Burgundy and Gold, then that'd be the most Washington thing ever because the Navy is, uh, you know, royal blue, dark blue and gold with a goat. So yeah. I'm not really sure how the uh, how you brand it with Burgundy and Gold. So well, you know what's interesting? Admirals, I'd be surprised. What's interesting, uh, two things on that. One, or if you look at uh, the plane, the Red Tails plane that the Tuskegee uh, uh -huh. Airmen used to fly, it's burgundy, gold, silver, and black. And they now have that like silver and black line. So that's kind of my conspiracy theory. Mm. But uh, some very smart internet sleuths caught uh, the logo like reflected in the, the window. And also I think somewhere else, or like they maybe uh, like kind of um, digitized the blurred out images. And it doesn't look like an R. It looks like a W with like maybe the Washington Monument in the middle. Yes. So if they did pick a name that starts with R, I don't see how that would be the logo. But it's just fascinating how we're all kind of trying to decipher this. Chase, it's an interesting the question for you just real quick. How much when, when you're doing things like this, when the company is doing things like for stories, how careful do you now have to be in recognition of the Twitter sleuths? Because they're out there, man. They found all that stuff, right? So you could, on one hand, you'd be like, come on, somebody's got to be smart enough to realize there's a reflection in the window, right, that caught the logo. But but do you, I mean, do we underestimate the value of the Twitter sleuth? <laughs> I think they do. And I think anyone who says that, because I've heard that someone was like, oh, well, come on. You know, the Washington football team may have done that on purpose. They may have given us a clue. I think in that case, you're overestimating the Washington football team. This is the same team that didn't realize that, they were putting Sean Taylor way that sign in front of a bunch of porta potties and had that just horrible moment that should have been a great moment of his family and Fred Smoot and all these former teammates of his taking that picture. Like uh, at what point were they like super calculated and like 10 steps ahead of the rest of us? That seems like a mistake that they would make. Right. So I don't think that they were trying to throw us off with that. I don't think the groundhog day thing with red hogs, they're trying to throw us off. I think, they're a little bit easier to to kind of detect clues like that than most organizations because they usually have so many missteps, right? Absolutely. They they have had more than their fair share of missteps <laughs> along the way. I, I do I am glad that they'll be keeping the colors. Although although it makes it a little harder since everything else in the district is uh red, white, and blue. It'd be nice to have some matches, but they're the only burgundy and gold in the league. So I like the yeah. fact that they'll stay that way. Um, I am going to be disappointed if they take the numbers off. I kind of like the numbers on the side of the helmet. Yeah, we'll see about that. I kind of like those too. Um, but yeah, when when everything kind of the dust settled that they were changing their name from Redskins, I, I thought all about like, all right, what are my priorities here? And I realized that Burgundy and Gold was probably at the top of the list. I think that's more important than the name because you want to be able to feel like you're rooting for the same team you've always rooted for. And I saw all these people be like, Oh, change it to red, white, and blue. I don't think a single like skins fan made that argument. I think it was a lot of people who weren't fans of the team. And if you look around uh, professional sports, those colors are not just unique to the NFL. They're pretty much unique to the major sports, at least like the Cleveland Cavaliers kind of have that. Uh, I don't know what they, the specific names of the colors are, but it's kind of a burgundy and gold. I think there's champagne. a more wine. I think it's like it's, wine. Yeah, I think it's like wine and champagne, maybe, right? Or like wine and gold or something like that. 
Um, but it's unique and, you know, you want to be able to at least squint when you're watching them play the Cowboys and feel like it's the same rivalry that you watched when you were, you know, five, six years old uh, growing up. So I'm glad that they did that. Um, now we'll see what they do with the name. I, I just kind of realized that the colors to me are the most important thing, and I'm really glad they stuck with them. Well, the way they've been playing, it could be the Washington rollovers. <laughs> well, and they, they, know, they know without that the product on the field doesn't change. It doesn't matter much. Are you surprised they announced they're going to do this thing on the Today Show? Uh, were you surprised that they made the Today Show the big rollout? I thought maybe, you know, go to a monument and have this thing, and you could live hit, you know, Craig Melvin could, st- could still come down. They could still do a live hit on the Today Show. I was surprised by that as well. A little bit surprised, um, but, you know, if you want to go big, that might be the way to do it. You know, it's a a big-time show. Everyone knows the Today Show. You also aren't going to have a bunch of fans there that could boo it. You know, that would be a memorable I wondered if that was part of it, right? Yeah, and, you know, uh, they could – I don't know. It's uh, – also someone made a good point that, um, you know – it could be the the league maybe uh, pushing them to do that. You know, the, uh, if it, maybe it's not Washington football team, maybe it's not their decision solely. Maybe because the league, I mean, you know, they're shared revenue. Um, it's a larger company than the Washington football team is. Um, I meant to double check this, but I think the Super Bowl might be on yeah, NBC on this year. Yeah. And it's like the week of the Super Bowl. So maybe there's just some synergy there. Maybe it wasn't all their decision, but maybe they I, didn't want them to do it beside a Porter John like they did John <laughs> right, <exactly>. street. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe they took it out of their hands for that specific reason. Like, yeah, we saw how was... y'all did a revered member, you know, former oh, yeah. player of the organization. No. <laughs> like, or if it was on, if it was at FedEx field and they put it on the big screen, they could have misspelled the name like they did London Fletcher. You never know. So this maybe takes it out of their hands. The, the helmet, the helmet rule is gone. You know, they had to use this base helmet all the time, the color. So black helmets. It looks like there will be a black alternate kit, which I know fans have been excited about. I'm excited about that one. We're spending a lot of time here on uniforms, but I love a good black alternate. That's all we got, man. Play on the field doesn't subject us, doesn't doesn't warn us no. talking about it. So we gotta talk about these potential uniforms here. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm for it. You know, I I think at one point I might have been more of a traditionalist. You know, you talk about the team and their history, but that history is kind of long gone. Let's uh, let's try some new things. I mean, all black uniforms, no matter the sport, are always great. You know, look at the Ravens. I think the Wizards when they went to all black, that was really cool. So you know, it's just an alternate. You know, how often are they going to wear it? Maybe the players really like it. Maybe the fans will really like it. So uh, I'm definitely all for them trying some alternate jerseys for sure. I like. I, I think their best look, honestly, might be the all whites. Um, so why not try it? You know, all black with some of the same logos. Put you on the spot here, and if you don't know it, that's fine. When did the when did the NBA quit with the shoe? You know, the shoes are always wild to me because they always match before. Like now you wear whatever shoes you want. How long have they been doing that now? I want to say like four years. It's been pretty recent and. Uh, that was the kind of thing that I didn't really have a strong opinion when they first announced it. I was like, well, you know, um, I wonder how it'll look, but it's been cool and it doesn't distract from the uniforms at all. I mean, and guys get to express themselves in all sorts of ways. Uh, Denny Avdia recently was wearing like lime green shoes. They didn't match, uh, but it's not like I wasn't watching the game because I was so distracted by the shoes. Um, I think it allow, allows guys to wear all sorts of colorways, um, you know, tribute shoes, um, you know, based on special events or people uh, in their lives. So I think it's been a really cool way for players to express themselves. 
let's go ahead and transition to the basketball team. We're stuck right here at 500. You know, they got off to a hot start. They cooled off. Um, they're playing a little bit better basketball now. What, what do you think we're closer to here? That, that first run or this middle run we've been on? I think what we're seeing lately, you know, they started out 10 and three and then they lost a bunch of games. I think it was, uh, you know, 12 out of 17 or something like that. And then lately they've been playing 500 ball. And I think that's a little bit closer to what they will be over the course of the rest of the season. I think they'll end up finishing with a winning record because right now they're playing 500, but they're missing a lot of guys. You know, Spencer Denwitty's coming back. Uh, Rui Hachimura is coming back. Thomas Bryant. Um, you know, Davis Berton's been banged up. They haven't really had all their players available. And once they do, I think there's a chance they'll get better. And then also, you know, Tommy Shepard's proven to be pretty good at the trade deadline. You know, last year, of course, they got Daniel Gafford. Uh, the year before, uh, Shabazz Napier helped their defense a lot, you know, uh, turning it over to him from Isaiah Thomas. So I think the Wizards um, are going to continue to tweak. They're going to continue to get guys back. And I still think they'll end up with, you know, call it like 43 wins or something. Right now they're 500. They'd have to play at a better pace to get there. Um, but you also look at their schedule moving forward, and it's not as difficult as it was to start the season. They've got one of the more manageable schedules. So I think they'll be able to take advantage of that. Um, it's not going to get any easier in the short term, but over the course of the rest of the season in the second half, um, I think they're going to be able to pack away some wins. They're also going to play a lot of games at home. You know, they got a stretch coming up, eight straight home games. And um, I haven't been able to kind of like verify this, but Wizards PR told me that that's the longest stretch of home games they've had since the 1980s. So um, some things are hopefully going to break their way. And I think they'll end up being uh, closer to what we see now, but a little bit better over time. Chase, I'm <clears throat> I'm wondering how do you feel about how the offense, for the most part, has been run since we got Point Bill and uh, Kuzma as the definite number two option. Um, I know to me the offense looks for the most part like it runs a little bit smoother, like it has some definitive direction as opposed to when they went on that streak where they lost 12 of 17 or whatever it was where the offense just looked like you look like you could have got five guys from the YMCA to play better offense than the way the Wizards <laughs> Well, um it's a big question because the the key change that could happen there is Spencer Dinwiddie, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he's the point guard. The offense runs through him. Um, he's a guy who likes to drive to the rim. And, you know, that has an effect on the rest of the offense because the ball's got to be in his hands to drive to the rim, right? Um, lately, I think they've been able to get better offensively because they played a little bit more open. They've played with a little more pace. They've been one of the worst transition teams in the league all year. Um, one of the worst fast break teams. And I think by running a little bit more, um, it's opened up shots, not only layups, but three point shots for them. They just haven't gotten very many open, wide open transition threes. And those are the types of baskets along with layups that just make things easier for your offense. Right. Um, I do think when Dinwiddie comes back and it sounds like that's going to be very soon, uh, that they got to find a way to get the ball in Beal's hands, uh, you know, to run the offense a little bit more. Maybe you stagger him and Spencer Dinwiddie more than you have already, although they've already tried to do that. And then you're certainly seeing the potential with Kyle Kuzma. When he can get more shots, when he can be more aggressive going to the rim, then he can get into a rhythm. The three-point shots start falling, and he's got a high ceiling as a scorer. So it's going to have to be a balance. I think maybe the way to get guys more shots is to play a little faster um, because then you're going to have more possessions and therefore more shots to go around, right? Now, what effect that has on their defense, we'll see. 
But the slowing the game down, which Wes Unsell Jr. wanted to do to start the year, it worked out well defensively early on. But, you know, they haven't been a good defensive team for a long time now. So you might as well try to uh, jumpstart the offense a little bit. And maybe the way to do that is run more and shoot more. When Thomas Bryant comes back, assuming that he's the same shooter he was before he got hurt, what does that do to Trez's minutes? Um, well, I think it's going to obviously provide more competition for Montrez Harrell at center um, and Daniel Gafford as well. You know, Gafford's been a good shot blocker this season, but, um, you know, he alone hasn't been able to fix the Wizards defense. Uh, Harrell hasn't been consistent as consistent as he was earlier in the year. So it's kind of good timing for the Wizards to add some competition to that mix because, um, you know, they haven't exactly gotten uh, pristine play from their center position. And Montrez Harrell, he, he or I'm sorry, Thomas Bryant. He's going to be able to do things that those guys don't provide, namely shoot threes. Um, you know, he's one of the better three-point shooting centers in the league, and the Wizards have struggled shooting threes. So, uh, getting him back is going to be a huge positive for them. I think the question is, for minutes for all three of those guys, is can Thomas Bryant play on the floor at the same time as Montres Harrell or Daniel Gafford? You know, he's got a little bit of a different skill set. I think him and Gafford might be able to play together because Gafford never shoots threes. Um, he's never attempted a three in his career. Meanwhile, Thomas Bryant is a very good three-point shooter, very good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Um, so, you know, you could run screens and pick-and-pop actions with him. Um, but when it comes to Harrell, um, you know, I think both of those guys together, uh, Bryant and Harrell, uh, probably not the best defensive combo, um, probably not the greatest rebounding combo, and there's a little bit of redundancy in how they play offensively because um, Thomas Bryant also likes to score around the rim, just like Daniel Gafford. Um, and Montrezl Harrell, you know, maybe they could complement each other offensively much better than defensively, but that's where I would worry about is defensively. Can Bryant and Harrell play together? So those are, I think, kind of questions that Wes Unsell Jr. will have to answer just by throwing them out there on the floor. I think there's a chance that Bryant could play with both guys. You know, maybe him as the four uh, next to Gafford and him as the five next to Harrell, um, but they're going to have to see it in action. I think it's going to depend on uh, not only Thomas Bryant making his threes, but maybe even scaling up the volume from what we've seen in years past. I actually don't. I don't. I don't see uh, West Winslow Jr. playing any of the two big guys together. Um, when you have a six ten Kuzma, a six nine Denny, a six eight six nine um, Rui, uh, if you're going to continue to play Davis Bertans, he is six ten. So I don't. I don't think it necessarily. They would necessarily have to try to run two of them out. I think it'd actually be detrimental to try to run two of them out. Uh, because Thomas Bryant covering anybody on the perimeter is a big no-no. Like that's a, yeah, <laughs> that's a big no-no. <laughs> that's fair. I think one way it could work is that what we saw last year, right? The Wizards had three centers. Um, they had Gafford, they had uh Robin Lopez, and they had Alex Lynn. And what they did is basically just like gave those guys equal time in the first half and then rolled with the hot yeah, hand whoever, in the second whoever half. Was Maybe that's what it'll yeah. be like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with, with Gafford still having the pension for getting in foul trouble, you know, every other game, I think it, it provides Thomas Brown would provide necessary relief in um in that you do have another big man that you can go to. Um not as defensively inclined as Gafford, but provide way more offense. Because I think people, they always talk about his three-point shooting, but they don't talk about his percentage around the rim. You hinted on it, but he's great catching the ball in traffic, and I think he was shooting like 68% or something like that around the rim. Like, they need that as well. <laughs> they, they definitely need all of that. So, um, 
looking forward to to Thomas Bryant and Rui getting back. Uh, it's it's so crazy at the beginning of the year we was talking about how deep this team was and how they weren't missing Rui and Thomas Bryant, and then as soon as they hit that that skid, oh, we need Rui and Thomas Bryant to come save us. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, it's works. crazy. When I, when I think the first time I ever talked to you, we were talking about Bertans and how important he was to resign him. And of course, at the time, it was a no-brainer. He had to resign him. What has happened? I, I, last year he was out of shape, but I mean, what is that? That doesn't have anything to do with this year, does it? I mean, is that what's going on with that? What are they supposed to do with him? Yeah, last year he was out of shape. This year, uh, one thing that's kind of carried over is he keeps uh, having these sort of minor injuries that. Um, it prevent, prevented him from getting into a rhythm. You know, last year he got uh, COVID. He had the calf injury. Um, he, you know, I think missed a game after getting stitches above his eye. Uh, this year he had uh, another calf injury. Um, he hurt his ankle. Um, so, you know, Davis Bertans now is dealing with uh, a foot sprain. And the problem is, you know, right before this last one, he had caught a rhythm like we hadn't seen him catch in a long time. I mean, he'd made four plus threes in three straight games. Um, he was on fire from three. I think he hit six threes, uh, five or six threes against the Hornets, uh, a team that he's had a lot of success against in the past. Um, so he's been heating up lately. You know, you go back like 10, 11 games, he's shooting 40% from three. So right now I think he's in shape. I think his shot is coming around. It's just a matter of whether he can stay healthy. And you know, the thing about it is that the wizards have struggled so much from three this year that I think the opportunities are going to be there for him. Uh, particularly until, you know, Corey Kispert or someone really uh, locks down his spot in the rotation. Um, they're going to still keep giving him chances because uh, three-point shooting has been an issue for them all year. And we all know the ceiling's very high for him when it comes to shooting from deep. Chase, what are your thoughts on how um, Kispert has been playing so far this season? Well, you know, the three-point shots have not been falling like I think they will eventually over time. Uh, you know, lately he's shooting 40% for three over his last 10, I think. He's shown some progress in that regard, but his catch-and-shoot three percentage is like 28%, and that's what he was best at in college, coming off screens and just knocking it down uh, off a catch-and-shoot play. Um, but I've, I've been impressed with how he can affect the game in other ways. You know, he's got a long way to go on the defensive end, of course, but offensively he's constantly in motion. And I think he does a good job of moving the ball, both by you know getting to the open spot on the floor uh, to create space for others, and also on catching goes and driving kicks. And he's got a decent uh, pull-up jumper, you know, from the mid-range. He had a pull-up three the other night uh, against the Rockets. So mm -hmm. you can tell he's a he's a well-coached player. I think he really understands spacing. I think he really understands the geometry of the offense. And I think he's a guy that once those shots start falling, um, he's going to be hard to keep off the floor because he does all those things. Um, yeah, he's finished at the rim a couple times this year. I don't know if that's ever going to be a big part of his game, but he's not afraid to finish through contact. Um, I think he's the type of guy who could be a component of a, a very good offense and one that moves the ball really well. What is the best case scenario for Rui this year? And what should we be expecting for him once he's back into the fold? rotation and, and ready to go well i think over it's probably going to take some time for him to get up to speed you know he's joining uh the team basically mid-season and although in the past he's had some success coming back from injury absences uh you know we don't know where his head is at at this point so i think it's going to take some time but i think the expectations could be set pretty high i think you know he showed a lot last year he improved his three-point percentage he got better defensively I think if he can become more consistent as a defender this year, 
then he'll stay on the floor. And if he can make threes, then he'll stay on the floor because that's the big question about, you know, how compatible is he with other guys on the team? But, uh, you know, after the all-star break, he shot really well from three. He shot, I think, 33% from three last year. Um, I was just looking at the numbers today. Above the break uh, threes, he shot over 36%, uh, higher percentage than anyone on the Wizards this year. So, you know, he, he, he can knock it down from deep. And he's looked really good in practice from what I've seen, you know, shooting and competing against his teammates in drills. Um, it's also year three. He's coming off the Olympics. You know, you see a few other guys around the league who are making big leaps in year three. Guys from his draft class, uh, players like Tyler Hero and Keldon Johnson. They both played in Olympic competition and they look better for it. So, um, you know, Rui's trying to play for a contract extension in the summer. It's a big year for him. And I have pretty high expectations for him. I think he's going to end up being one of the Wizards' better players by season's end. I think it just might take him some time to, uh, you know, to get his footing. Chase, um, what what has been the talk about Point Beal? <laughs> was, was anybody surprised at how he ran the offense or was it something that was like, uh, oh, we knew he had this in them all along. Uh, you know, that's a good question because I, I think uh, I was surprised to the degree that he played so well, just because we've seen him play point guard over the past few years, you know, particularly after John Wall's body started breaking down, he had to take on a larger playmaking role in the offense, but we'd never seen him start at point guard. And, you know, he didn't exactly have a full complement in terms of his supporting cast. And he went out and played a brilliant game, right? I mean, he had a career high 17 assists. Uh, he limited his turnovers. He only had two turnovers. You know, earlier this season, he was struggling with turnovers. Um, he didn't have the same tight handle that he did in that game and that he's had recently. So I think it just was a representation of him being in midseason form, him playing really well lately. And him uh, just kind of uh, immediately taking to a larger role because he was playing so well. Um, but it went so well that I think all of us would like to see more of it, right? Um, you know, maybe he doesn't start at point guard, but maybe when Denwitty goes out of the game and they stagger their minutes, you know, maybe have the offense run through Bradley Beal, even if Howell Neto's in the game or Aaron Holiday's in the game. Um, it just went so well that I think the Wizards can't completely go away from that because uh, he was really impressive and he looked like he's absolutely ready for even a larger role in, in the offense on the ball. Absolutely. Now, uh, Pooh, you are still convinced that they're going to throw the bag at him. Chase, are you? Yeah, I think they will. I think they still want to, to re-sign him. Um, and I think he will ultimately re-sign with them. Uh, you know, I think he's kind of taking his time because he knows he can make a lot more money. And also, he doesn't have to sign it now. So he can kind of see how things go this season. But, you know, if you pay attention to what he said over the years and you pay attention to what, you know, people like myself have reported about, you know, what he and others have said off the record, um, you know, what the Wizards have provided him kind of matches up with what he's been angling for, which is, you know, a, a good supporting cast that gives him an opportunity to go to the playoffs. And then from there, um, you know, it's kind of in his hands, which is, I think, all he wants. I, I don't think he in recent years, you know, obviously last year they made the playoffs, but he hadn't really been given the opportunity with a supporting cast to go to the playoffs and then make something happen. You know, this year, if they can play their way into the playoff picture a little bit more, you know, maybe you get a fifth or sixth seed. Um, you know, that represents progress. And then maybe you can go into the offseason. You can re-sign him. You can think a little bit bigger with your trades and you can try to take a step forward. Um, you know, basically Bradley Beal is 28. Uh, he's going on 29. 
he can sign one of the largest contracts in NBA history and then go from there and, you know, give the Wizards another year, give them another two while he's making big time money. And then, you know, if he wants out, try to go chase a, a chip somewhere else. I don't think he has to do that now. All he has to do is sign for a massive contract, set himself up even further and his you know family for further generations. And then when he gets to 29, 30, kind of make a decision about can he win a title here or at least compete for one. So I don't see why there'd be any rush uh, given how much more money he can make with the Wizards than he can to leave them um, and not potentially find a situation where the grass is truly greener. But, but you think he'll he'll resign because he wants to be here and not because of how much more money he can make here? I think, it'll, I think it'll be a combination of both, but I mean, let's be honest, it's a lot of money, you know? It might be like, yeah, I mean, we'll see what the salary cap ends up being, but it's projected like 240, 250 million. You know, you're making uh, 50 million a year or something like that, high 40s. Um, I don't know how you turn that down when you don't really need to leave at this point. Obviously, he could still make a ton of money with another team. I think it's, you know, close to 200 million, um, but he can sign for more money here. And then, you know, get a trade out. And, and if the Wizards, um, I, obviously, I think the Wizards should try to keep him um, because he's a really good player. I think he's showing that he's still very good, you know, in recent weeks, that he still has a chance to get better than he was even last year. And you got to resign him because then you at least have the asset to trade uh, if you want to go in a different direction. You can't just let him go for nothing. Yeah, I, th- I think Bill had his chance to go to another team this offseason. Um and when he turned down those overtures to be traded, I think that kind of, I, I at least I, it probably let Tommy know, but I know at least let me know he this is where he wanted to be because he he had a chance to get out and still get all of his money by getting traded to another team. So um, I'm gonna ask this question, Chase, and I gotta I gotta tap out. I gotta go run do a call. But in your opinion, do you think Tommy has to consolidate the roster a little? Come uh, trade deadline. I don't know if it has to uh, happen before the trade deadline, but certainly if the Wizards want to level up from being a playoff team in the Eastern Conference to actually being contenders for conference finals, finals, winning a title, they're going to have to you know pull off a big trade at some point. Um, unless they can find someone in free agency, I don't know how viable that is. We all know their history with free agency; it's such a crapshoot. Um, I think ultimately it's the depth and whatever draft picks you can trade that's going to get you another star on Bradley Beal's level or, you know, maybe someone better or, you know, maybe you consolidate some of the depth into, you know, better players, fewer but better players, higher ceiling, higher caliber players. But certainly you look at the top tier of the Eastern Conference and, you know, it's teams that are loaded with stars. You got to go up against the Bucks. They've got Giannis and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. Um, certainly the Brooklyn Nets have a bunch of stars, Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. Even the Sixers, you know, you're going up against Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons if he comes back or whatever they turn that into, and Tobias Harris. Um, you know, to compete with those teams, you're probably going to need some star power. So I think that's the way they end up getting it. But I don't know if it happens before the deadline because usually, you know, it requires someone to be pretty obviously available that makes sense for them. And I don't know who that player would be at the moment. So maybe it happens in the offseason. But I think ultimately they're going to have to think in those terms. Appreciate it. Real quickly before you yeah. go, uh, when, when I see you on Monday, or I guess the game won't be till Monday night, will, uh, will my Bulldogs finally get a national championship or are they going to lose Alabama again? As long as they come in playing 
like they played all season, besides that Alabama game, I think they can. I think they could beat Bama. They just have to play like Georgia has played all season, besides the SEC championship game. I hope you're right. I can't. I can't lose to Alabama again, and it crushes me. And, and I'll never forget. Well, you know what was four years ago when uh, Bama switched it to it and then threw the deep ball at the very. I'd never had my jaw drop uh, watching a game as it did on that last play uh, to Devontae Smith. So, God, I hope they pull one out. The legend, on the legend of Nick Saban versus his his uh, assistants. Oh, no. <laughs> Chase, thanks, man, for uh, joining us today. Always a pleasure. Absolutely, guys. Let's do it again sometime. All right. Thank you, fellas. Thanks.